good afternoon. You're listening to Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church. Stephen Pollock is the pastor of the Free Presbyterian Church of Malvern, Pennsylvania. Thank you for joining us today as he opens the Word of God and lets the Bible speak. Please turn tonight in the Word of God to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. And Luke 11 verse 1, And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. And he said unto them, When you pray, say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so on earth. Give us day by day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Again, we're thankful to the Lord for his word and for the blessing that is to our souls. Back in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, the wise man gives some very perceptive advice regarding the worship of God's people. He says this, keep thy foot when thou goest to the house of God and be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools for they consider not that do evil. Be not rash with thy mouth and let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before God for God is in heaven and thou upon earth. Therefore, let thy words be few. That's not an excuse that God's people should use to say nothing when they come together in public prayer. But it is a reminder that we must be very careful when we say anything, anything in prayer before the Lord. In prayer, we must be very conscious of who we are approaching so that our words are guarded as well as our attitude being right. And so our words must be well chosen, must be carefully chosen. And we should be very thankful that the Lord has given us clear instruction regarding prayer. We have 150 prayers in the book of Psalms. We have other prayers for us in the word of God. And here in Luke 11 and in Matthew chapter 6, we have some of the simplest words to instruct the people of God regarding the words they should use in prayer. We, of course, call it the Lord's Prayer, not that it was prayed by the Lord. Uh, the Lord's Prayer is, is very much John 17. But it is a Lord's Prayer in that it was taught by the Lord, given to the church to enable the people of God to rightly pray. And all I want to do tonight is I want to simply set the scene. Uh, I want to introduce this subject uh, to your attention tonight, and then we'll uh, build on that in the weeks to come. And trust it will whet your appetite to study this together. So the first thing then is the text of the prayer. Uh, the prayer itself is recorded in two places. Here in Luke chapter 11, and you have the words, uh, verse number 2, When ye pray, say, Our Father, which art in heaven. It's also recorded over in Matthew chapter 6, and we'll, we'll turn back to Matthew chapter 6 in a few moments. We should note that these words were given by the Lord to the disciples on at least these two occasions. There are two occasions that are given to us in the inspired scriptures. I do believe these are two separate times. 
two separate times of instruction. And therefore there's an importance to, uh, uh, there's a, a lesson to learn regarding the importance of this. The Lord is pleased to repeat this instruction to the disciples. We should also note that in the two passages, uh, the form is slightly different. There's a, a few words here and there that are, that are different. And so there's a, a lesson there again, just in the, the text itself. And that is that it's not so much the exact words that matter, as it is the priority and the meaning of the words. And so as we review the text, we'll, we will see what sort of things we should pray for, rather than simply the words we should use. If it's just about the words, it will not take us uh, four or five months to study. And we could just simply read it and you've learned it and that's all well and good. But there's a a depth behind the words that we'd rightly understand what the words mean. But I don't want you to think that it's the bare words that is the important thing. Rather, it is the priorities and the principles that are contained within the words. That's something very quickly about the text of the prayer. What about the source of the prayer? Well, I've said already we, we call this the Lord's Prayer. Taught by the Lord to the disciples. And therefore, this prayer is of divine origin. This prayer is an explicit revelation of the will of God regarding prayer. That is significant. Because if we pray this prayer aright, we have the certainty that we are praying according to the will of God. And so I'll repeat this time and time again, I believe, in the the months to come. But remember the words of 1 John 5, and this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And I am convinced that when John says that we're to ask things according to his will, he's referring to the revealed will in the word of God. None of us have any knowledge of the future. And therefore we cannot rightly pray over God's secret will. But we can pray the prayers that God has given us in his revealed will. And thus, if we're to understand this prayer, we have a tremendous confidence that if we pray this prayer right, we are indeed praying those things according to the will of God. And we have the confidence, therefore, that he hears us. We've been noting that in, in recent studies in the prayer time. I remind you again, when you pray God's prayers, God hears those prayers. That ought to spur your heart up, spur you up to understand this prayer uh, and therefore put into practice in your own praying. The third thing to note tonight is the context of the prayer. Uh, And of course, there are therefore two separate contexts, two separate occasions where these words are given to the disciples. So turn back now, please, to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, and you will see the The words of the Lord's Prayer, as we call it, are there in verse number 9. After this manner, therefore, pray ye, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, etc. And it goes all the way down to thine is the kingdom, and the power and the glory forever. Amen. In the verse number 13. This Matthew chapter 6, of course, is the middle chapter in those three chapters that make up what we know to be the Sermon on the Mount. Very a very important sermon uh, given by Christ at the early stage of his, of his ministry. The Beatitudes, so well known in the world, the various blessings that he gives in chapter 5, they describe the character 
of the subject of the kingdom. The theme of the sermon is what does the kingdom of God look like? What does it look like in the hearts of men, in the lives of men? And so the Beatitudes are dealing with the, the character. Those who are kingdom subjects are poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. They mourn over their sin and their comfort. They are, they are meek and humble and they inherit the earth and so forth. There's a description of the character of the subject of the kingdom. And then you have the, the middle section which deals with the conduct of the subject of the kingdom. How does the kingdom subject live? And within the sermon, there is this section that deals on the acts of righteousness. You have verse number 20 of chapter 5. For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. There's a need for righteousness. I think some people have, have rightly understood uh, this portion to uh, at least include the important subject of Christ's righteousness. We, we will never enter the kingdom without Christ's righteousness. And yet when you study the chapters itself, it seems to me that what's in view here is that our righteousness will exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees when it is heart righteousness. And so it's dealing with the conduct or standing in Christ is, is assumed. You cannot be righteous in conduct, heart righteousness, without being legally righteous by being justified. They always come together. But those who are legally justified, whose righteousness therefore exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, when they're legally righteous, they're also morally righteous. And what you see is then Christ expounds the scriptures and says, Ye have heard, but I say unto you. And what he's dealing with is the importance of heart righteousness. That the subject of the kingdom lives a life of righteousness that is inward, genuine, sincere, not false and hypocritical. And that is then applied in chapter 6 to the three great tenets of Jewish religious living. It's applied in the area of almsgiving, verse 1 and following. It's applied in the area of prayer and it's applied in the area of fasting. Do the subjects of Christ, do they give, do they pray, do they fast? Of course they do. They, they don't depart from those tenets of Jewish living, but they do these things with a difference. The religious formalists, they worry about what others think. The disciples of Christ are concerned with what the Lord thinks. And so there is this uh, teaching regarding the importance of prayer that is private praying. And so you'll see here in verse number 5, And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verse 6, But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret. Secret, private praying. That's the context and the setting of the Lord then giving them the teaching of the Lord's prayer. There are, again, some things that we should point out before we move any further. First and foremost, we should note that it is simply assumed that the disciples of Christ engage in private prayer. It is commanded in a form here, 
The Lord does say in verse number 6, Pray to thy Father, which is in secret. But note the command comes in light of the assumption, But thou, when thou prayest. It's a given that the disciples of the king will engage in private, secret prayer. That would not be a surprise to us. We understand that the disciples of Christ are, are made so by the blood of Christ. And it is by the blood of Christ that we're brought nigh to God in Ephesians chapter 2. It is the just dying for the unjust in 1 Peter 3 that brings us to God. And so in the very essence of what it is to profess to know Christ is this issue that we, we believe that we're brought nigh to God by the shedding of Christ's precious blood. And so the emphasis here is on private acts of righteousness that are assumed to be part of the life of the child of God. Verse 1 and verse 6 and verse 15 of Matthew chapter 6 highlight the fact that it's not so much about what you do in front of others. It is the fact that you're doing this, these things before the Lord. And we'll come back to that in a moment or two, but don't miss and don't miss a very important blessing here. Thy Father, which seeth in secret, shall reward thee openly. By grace we come to pray. And yet when we come to pray, that very praying pleases the Lord. Never forget that. So often we come before the Lord in prayer. And we often begin and say, I'm just a filthy, rotten, wretched sinner. That's true. Well, it's not really true. You were once a filthy, rotten, wretched sinner. But by God's grace and by Christ's blood, you've been brought nigh. And by God's grace, your heart's changed. And by God's grace, you come to pray. So that what we read on Sunday evening in, in the Psalm 147 should never be missed. The Lord taketh pleasure in them that fear him, in those that hope in his mercy. We are by nature sinners, but by grace we are saints in whom God delights. Always make sure that your thoughts of yourself are the thoughts that God has of you. Being good, reformed Calvinistic believers, we emphasize depravity and we minimize the glories of God's grace in what we are now. Now, I know you've heard me preach through Romans. You understand what I believe regarding Romans 7. I'm not suggesting that we're not still tainted by sin, but I, I do believe there are many a child of God and they enter into prayer without this right spirit, that they're doing something which is pleasing to God. Not because of their works, but it's pleasing because of what God's grace has done in them to bring them to their knees in prayer. And thus it's to God's glory. It's to God's delight. And thus please, by God's grace, have the, have the right view regarding yourselves and your conduct when you come into the private place and seek to pray because God says, through Christ thy Father which sit in secret shall reward thee openly. That's context one, Matthew 6. You've also context here in, in Luke chapter 11 that we read together. Luke chapter 11. And the context here is interesting, verse 1. And it came to pass, 
Not this time that he was teaching the Sermon on the Mount, but as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. This is interesting. We sometimes excuse ourselves from the Matthew chapter 6 principle by saying, well, I, I just pray all the time. You know, First Thessalonians, pray without ceasing. That's me. I, I, I pray as I walk. I pray as I do the, do the housework. I pray as I work. I pray as I drive. I do all those things. Good. Don't stop that. Keep on walking with God. But here it says Christ ceased praying. He prayed and his prayer came to an end. You see, what Matthew 6 is teaching us is that there are set times and seasons when we go somewhere and actively engage in prayer with a shut door, our mind shut in with God away from the world, and that season begins and ends. It's called a season of prayer. And Christ, he's not violating instruction to pray without ceasing here, but he's showing us by his example that there are set times for prayer. And perhaps this first prayer time of a new year is a good time to remind ourselves that we must take these seasons apart to pray. Now, Spurgeon, that is well known to have said he never prayed for more than 15 minutes and never went more than 15 minutes without praying. That's true. That's good. Let's make sure that we still endeavor by God's grace to set seasons aside for praying. And Christ is our example in that. And so when you read verse uh, 1 of chapter 11, after the disciples observe Christ in praying, perhaps coming back from prayer, they say, Lord, teach us to pray. And so the Lord's prayer, it's, it's flowing out of a desire of the disciples to be like Christ. And he is our example when it comes to praying. Uh, Mark chapter 1 and the verse number 35. And in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place and there prayed. doesn't say he was praying to get there. No, he prayed when he got there. These are set seasons of private praying. And the Lord is our example. He, he took time aside to pray. Praying, praying, I guarantee you, will not just happen. There is a requirement to discipline yourselves. To set time aside to ensure this is the time when I will go in when I pray and I'm going to shut the closet. I'm going to have that time alone with God. It is a discipline. A discipline that may involve the use of an alarm clock. It may involve the, the use of, of a phone, a cell phone, whereby you can set yourself reminders. Well, now is the time. There's, there's all sorts of, of new modern apps to help you organize your prayer time and that they should be commended. Ways in which we can help ourselves to discipline ourselves, realizing that the spirit may be willing, but the flesh is weak. And thus, at times, we need to help the flesh. That we do those things that are pleasing in God's sight. Prayer that is regular, private, and purposeful. And the Lord engaged in prayer at a number of times. He, here he's about to move to a new place and preach the gospel somewhere else. We find him praying before he appoints the disciples. We find him praying before he asks the disciples, who do men say that I am? We, 
We see the Lord praying privately in various times through the Gospels. And in Luke chapter 11, this prayer is given to us by the Lord in response to the disciples' request as they observe their Savior praying. And I think it would be good for us all to contemplate week by week as we come to study this prayer that we would, we would ask ourselves or ask the Lord, Lord, make me more like your son. Make me more like Jesus in this example of praying. That I would know what it is to be conformed to his likeness in the area of private praying. And thus it is a prayer that Christ himself commends as a model, a template to help us to pray in the will of God. That's something about the context of the prayer. What about the nature of these petitions? Uh, just one thing to say about that. I, I believe these are ordinary prayers. These are not intended to be emergency supplications. There are times when we will pray things because of something that happens in an emergency. And we might call those burden supplications. Ephesians 6, by the way, talks about prayers and supplications. There's a, a distinction here. I think here we are looking at ordinary prayers. Prayers that should be prayed over daily. So there may be things in your prayer calendar that you will choose to pray for once a week. People perhaps, situations, once a month. Perhaps somebody you, you knew a long time ago but you want to keep remembering them in prayer. So you, you put them in your diary at some schedule. These things, these are daily priorities. These are things that continually come before the throne of grace. And so, let me just conclude with a couple of thoughts regarding the use of the Lord's Prayer. Uh, my last church, I had, a, I had a man who used to come and visit us regularly and, and he came more and more regularly over the years. And He, he came from an Anglican background. And, and almost once a month he would come to me and say, why do you never pray the Lord's Prayer publicly? You know, in the Anglican Communion, they will pray the prayer and it will be repeated by the congregation and there will be, uh, there'll be some uh, recitation of the Lord's Prayer. So, why don't you do that? Well, I, I used to always encourage them and say, well, actually, if you listen to my prayers, I, I do pray the Lord's Prayer. I pray the Lord's Prayer regularly in public. I just don't necessarily choose to use the exact words. Because should we pray this in public? Well, I say, well, yes and no. Clearly the context, both Matthew 6 and Luke 11, clearly the context revolves around private praying. And therefore that must be the focus. Also Matthew warns us against the practice of vain repetitions. That's the, the context for Matthew, verse number 7. But when you pray, use not vain repetitions. And I think one of the dangers of reciting the Lord's Prayer is it becomes a matter of vain repetition. You, you know the words, but you, you never actually pray them with the, the spirit that they're intended. And you, you run the risk of actually taking the Lord's name in vain. But the danger of vain repetition should not mean that we ignore the public use of the prayer. Note the words that are used. Give us day by day or daily bread. Forgive us our sins. There's a corporate sense to these prayers. And therefore, I would strongly encourage all that these prayers, these petitions, should govern our public praying. And in fact, if the exact words are used with the right spirit, 
It can never be wrong to pray scripture. And so if you uh, feel in your spirit that you're going to stand and pray tonight and say, Our Father, which art in heaven, I hope you all give a hearty amen because that is the very word of God in prayer. But I've said already the emphasis here is on private praying and therefore we must make sure that we understand the spirit and the intent of these prayers. Which leads to the issue of the pattern. These are the concluding observations. Can it be used in public? Yes. Should it be used as a pattern? Absolutely. These are the Lord's instructions as to how and what we should pray. How to address God. How to approach God. What should be the priorities in prayer. What should be the petitions that are in our prayers. Some say prayer is natural. I've said to you already that by the Spirit of God we, we get a new heart and a new relationship with God. And by the blood of Christ we're brought nigh. Uh, and yes, every disciple of Christ will pray when you pray. But that, that does not mean that we don't need to be taught how to pray. The Lord himself gives clear instructions. He doesn't tell the disciples when they say, teach us to pray. He doesn't say to them, sure, you know how to pray, just go and pray. He instructs them, gives them direction as to how they should pray. And thus I think it's important that we're all teachable in this area. Perhaps some have prayed for years, but maybe they've fallen away from the instruction of the Word of God in prayer. Their prayers are more marked by their habits and their tradition than it is the Word of God. And so whilst we, we, we may be familiar with the practice of praying, I think we should all be prepared to be taught of God, to be reminded and perhaps instructed and molded more accurately that we would pray those things that are according to the mind of God. And so let's take that prayer to heart and in verse number 1 of chapter 11 of Luke's Gospel, Lord, teach us to pray. And that should be our burden. That should be our desire. That we would know much of the mind of God when we come to the place of prayer. Because we are coming to the house of God. We must be careful, not hasty to utter anything before God. For God is in heaven and I upon earth. Therefore let thy words be few. May God make sure, help us to make sure that the words, the few words that we choose are words that are entirely according to the will of God in the Word. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Let the Bible Speak from Malvern Free Presbyterian Church. We extend an invitation to all to join us as we worship the Lord each week. You will be made very welcome. The church is situated at 80 Mallon Road, Malvern, Pennsylvania. We meet for worship on the Lord's Day at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. A Bible study and prayer meeting is also held on Tuesday evening at 7 p.m. If you'd like more information about the gospel or the church, please call 610-993-3170 or email malvernfpc at yahoo.com. We preach Christ crucified. Thank you.